What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner. Today, I was joined by a very special guest. You guys are going to love this conversation. I had Amanda Nybert on the show to talk about several things that you've probably heard me discuss numerous times, but hearing it from a different perspective. And Amanda brings a ton of wisdom from her experience and her background as an RD, somebody who has clinical experience and then has been working with clients online for a long time and just really appreciate her perspective on how to break through the all or nothing mindset, how to create a sustainable approach. You guys know I love to talk about the basics and the fundamentals. So we really hammered that home and you'll know what it means to not eat like an asshole. So hopefully you understand why Amanda and I get along so well. If you enjoy the episode, we would love to hear about it. It means the world when you share and let us know who's listening. So the first thing you can do, of course, is leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And the second thing you can do is take a screenshot of the episode, post it to your stories on Instagram, and tag us both. You can tag myself at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Amanda at Amanda Nybert RD. That's A M A N D A N I G H B E R T R D. That's on Instagram. Tag us both and enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. I am joined today by a very special guest on the show. I have Amanda Nybert joining me. First of all, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always love to start at the same place just because, you know, in this industry, it's it's always curious for me to hear like how we all got into this crazy industry in the first place. Um, it's, uh, I would say, an uphill battle. I know we very much share a lot of similar philosophies, and I feel like trying to reverse the trend of the way that diets have been programmed for decades is, is a tall task. So it's always nice to see people like yourself trying to spread a positive message and encouraging people to do things the right way and break the all or nothing mindset. But let's start at the beginning. Like what made you get into this in the first place and then go down the RD path and, um, you know, all the way up to current day? Well, you know, um, again, I am a registered dietitian. I actually worked in the clinical setting for two decades with an emphasis on weight management. Um, I think my passion for nutrition, health and wellness came from, you know, my um, being a gymnast, an athlete in in high school. And, you know, they always say, uh, pursue a career that you're passionate about that you enjoy doing. So that kind of led me to nutrition and wellness. Um, But, you know, about five years ago, I kind of left the hospital setting and jumped in this online space to, you know, work with clients virtually mainly because, you know, I was seeing over and over clients come to me trying to do what their doctor told them to do, trying to take the latest nutritional advice and implement it for progress and results towards their health and wellness, and just being frustrated by, you know, not seeing results and or just confused by all the misinformation out there. And so I really wanted to, I mean, really my goal when I work with clients is just to simplify nutrition for weight loss, you know, simplify nutrition for health and wellness. Um, I think that we have become so polarized by the way we we create nutritional guidelines and, and create nutritional education. It's, it's a lot of the all or nothing, you know, in, in the 19... 19- 
um, 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was, you know, no fat. And now today it's, you know, no carbs. And I think what people forget to realize is that, you know, for most of our existence, we ate in a very balanced way where kind of all macronutrients had a place um, in, in your diet. So, I mean, that's kind of what I've been doing for the past, you know, five years is, you know, just trying to spread that message. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's great to hear because I talk about simplifying all the time. I think it's, it almost is difficult to pull somebody in on that concept. Like if you're talking to a prospective client or somebody who's been listening to a lot of the advanced tactics and and I call it, you know, majoring in the minors and somebody will ask the question about, uh, you know, meal timing and how many meals per day and, and they're not even hitting their protein goals. They're not drinking water. They're not moving their body. So it's like, let's, let's focus on the fundamentals first. Um, it, it really isn't complicated, but there is this complicated thing that lives between our ears that I think is really what makes it complicated. We take something that is actually quite simple. Like you said, just kind of how we're, we're programmed and wired. Um, and then we make it complicated and we focus on all of these other things. And we think, you know, there must be some magical secret out there that I'm missing. And that's where I think we start to explore some of the extreme protocols and some of the advanced you know, ways of doing things. Um, how do you pull somebody in and, and get them to like buy into the fact that, you know what, we're just going to take this like all the way to the basics and it's going to be really boring and really simple, but very effective. Like what's your way of communicating that message? You know, I have people reach out to me every day and say, Amanda, I have Hashimoto's, you know, is your program uh, uh, a good fit? I have diabetes, I have hypertension, I have PCOS, I have ulcerative colitis, you know, all of these different illnesses that we're all chronically dealing with. And my answer is, yeah, it is. Because what we focus on is, like you said, it is the foundation. And, and, you know, people think they're special. Okay. They think because they have Hashimoto's, they need a very special diet or, you know, because they have diabetes, they need a very special diet. In reality, what you are lacking is a a solid foundation. And if you can simply fix your foundation, then you can take advantage of what I call upper level nutritional strategies. You know, a lot of people, like you said, they want to dive into those upper level nutritional strategies, like getting rid of nightshades and meal timing and, you know, all of that stuff that you were mentioning when their foundation is broke. And not only does it make it harder to implement those upper level nutritional strategies, they're most likely less effective than if your foundation is broke. So, you know, that's basically the message that I really um, am am trying to, you know, get across to my clients is that I'm going to help you fix your foundation. And then from there, we'll be able to build on that with these, you know, special kind of things that may impact you specifically. Yeah, it's such a great point. It's almost like earning the right to be able to go to that upper level strategy, whatever it may be. And I think not only does it make it more effective, but you also have the ability to pinpoint what's working and what's not, right? If we don't have the foundation in place and then we want to try something like eliminating, you know, nightshades or gluten or trying to pinpoint a sensitivity somewhere, if we don't have the foundation built, then how do we know what's working? Or you typically see everyone, um, this is along the lines of the all or nothing mindset, which I know we're going to touch on, but trying to fix everything all at once. And then how do we know what's working and what's not? How do we know what's making you feel like crap and what's making you feel better if we're trying to make, you know, 17 changes all at once, which is the typical 
you know, New Year's approach or diet starts Monday. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to overhaul everything all at once. And, and then we're just, we're just guessing. So I feel, you know, if we can build that foundation one step at a time, and is, is that kind of, I'm curious your take, we can start to talk about that. Is that kind of your approach when it comes to all or nothing and helping people uh, rewire their brains and get out of that mindset? Is it one thing at a time, slow and steady, we're going to, you know, implement these changes so that it's sustainable. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about progress, not perfection, you know, um, taking things one at a time, you know, looking at the, maybe the pieces that matter the most um, and, you know, kind of putting them all together. But again, what we're looking at is like whole food nutrition, you know, and it's like, what does that mean to me? A bag salad with some rotisserie chicken is considered a whole food nutrition, you know? So it's like, Uh, taking the stigma out of like what's healthy and what's not, you know, teaching people that all foods fit. Yes. There are foods that we eat in abundance that make us feel better and help us reach our goals. And then there's foods that we eat in moderation because we want to live our life. Um, We talk about, you know, the importance of sleep. I mean, sleep is probably the number one thing where people are lacking the most. And if you're not sleeping well, you can't burn fat. You can't have energy. You, you know, it's it's the spiral effect. So um, we talk about stress management. We talk about, you know, macro management. So it's really just kind of getting down to the nitty gritty. And, and I really like to try to meet people where they are, you know, in terms of like, what does your life currently look like? And how can we make small tweaks in your current lifestyle in order to make progress. Because again, it's just like what you said, in January, we are all motivated to go all in and we will do anything, you know, for 30 days or 60 days. But, you know, my biggest tagline is whatever you do to lose the weight, you better be prepared to do to keep it off. And a lot of people adopt very unsustainable habits that yes, you can, you know, power through for 30 days and maybe you do lose, you know, 10, 15, 20 pounds. But if you can't power through with them forever, then you're not going to keep it off. So sustainability is really important as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I always say what you do to attain it is what you'll do to maintain it. Same philosophy there. It's like, let's look at something that's going to last. And I always try to prepare for Worst case scenario, what are the things that you can do when life goes to shit? Because we know it's going to happen, right? Like the you know the past few years have been a great reminder that nothing is certain, everything is unpredictable, and stuff happens that we haven't planned for. So on your worst day, when everything else goes to shit, when when your you know spouse is arguing with you and your kids are fighting with you and you've got a ton on your plate. Like then in that moment, what are those things? I call them anchors. Like what are those habits? What are those anchors that you can do no matter what on your worst day? And like, that's where we're going to start. And you need to be confident that, you know, what drinking water, you know, still getting to to bed on time, eating quality foods. Like what are those things that, and everybody's different with what they feel confident with to begin. What are those things in those moments that you're still going to be able to follow through? And it's never going to be perfect to your point. Um, progress, not perfection. Um, when, and I love the fact that you also mentioned all foods fit. There are certain things that we eat because they make us feel better. There are certain things that we eat because we want to live our life. Um, speaking on the the all or nothing mindset, how do you approach somebody who's like, well, you know, I had a, a food that was quote unquote off limits. I I ate a donut. I ate a cookie, and 
everything else just went out the window from there, which is typically what we see. It's like, you know, spiraling out of control because we ate something that was quote unquote, not allowed. Um, I always tell the story. One of my first diets that I went on, um, I got a, a list of foods that I was allowed to eat and I got a list of foods that I wasn't allowed to eat. And I, I stuck to that. Like it was gospel, like on my bad list, there were apples, carrots. And I was like, Oh, that's, I always thought they were good foods, but here this, this program's telling me I'm not allowed to eat them. They must be bad. And I, it stuck with me. Um, so if I did make a mistake, right. I ate something on the quote unquote bad list. I, I felt guilty. I was like, well, crap, I'm not doing a good job. So I might as well just say, screw it. Um, how do you start to work through that mindset? Yeah, that's, you know, uh, uh, it's a huge part of breaking the all or nothing mindset because that's what really um, sets people back. I call it the might as well thinking. So for example, you roll into work Friday morning, there's a box of hot, fresh donuts, and you try really hard to resist because donuts don't currently align with your health and wellness goals, but you end up having a few. For so many people, that triggers the might as well thinking. Well, I've blown it. So I might as well have nachos for lunch and pizza and beer for dinner, you know, because I had, you know, two or three donuts for breakfast. And because it's Friday, others will say, you know, might as well eat like an asshole all weekend and start fresh Monday. And learning the ability to pivot after a meal that doesn't align with your current health and wellness goals is absolutely one of the most fundamental things to create consistency. Because that's what I, that's what I really try to tell my clients. You know, perfection leads to failure, but consistency leads to results. So at the end of the day, it is your ability to to be consistent that allows you to see that, that long-term progress. So, you know, for me, it's like trying to, again, that's why I say all foods fit. You know, when you stop seeing donuts as a good or bad food, then you can have two or three donuts and be done with it. You know, hopefully you enjoyed every bite. They were worth it all. And then you reset at lunch. And I think when we have this notion of like good versus bad, that's when, you know, again, we say we've blown it and we kind of might as well. I see this a lot with fruit. All right. So again, it's like what you said, people say apples and carrots are bad for you. Okay. Well, no one's become obese because they ate too many apples and carrots. Let's just say that, you know, but again, fruit kind of has a stigma. It's like, it is high in sugar, it's high in carbs. So people will, you know, say, don't eat a lot of fruit, but then, you know, so you avoid all fruit. And then at the end of the day, you're binging on a bag of Skittles. So in reality, and this is something I teach my clients, I much rather you binge on fruit than binge on sugar because a lot of times a sugar craving is really a a micronutrient issue. It's a vitamin and mineral issue. And when you consume large amounts of fruits, you're getting lots of vitamins and minerals and fiber and antioxidants and phytochemicals. So in the long run, it tends to address that sugar craving a lot better than concentrated sugar, which is going to create that vicious cycle. So um, I think when people are able to stop viewing food as good versus bad, I think that's the first step. And then I think when people are able to realize that one meal, even one day does not make or break your progress, it is what you choose to do after that meal or after that day that potentially will um, again, gives them a, a huge step in the right direction to creating that consistency. Yeah. I think that that ability to turn the page quickly is, is probably one of the most important and underrated skill sets to develop. And it, it can be developed just like anything else. It just takes practice. And, and I think sometimes what we miss 
is going in with intention. Sometimes we just rely on our ability, like you mentioned, using willpower around the donuts. And if that individual just took a moment and took some time to be like, what is my intent with the donuts today? And it can, it can look different on a day-to-day basis. But if your intent is, you know what, this doesn't support my goals. I'm going to pass on the donuts. Um, totally fine. That's a valid decision. Or it could be, you know what, today my intent is to just have one and to stop there and that's going to be enough. Or you might say, you know what, today is a day that I'm just going to you know, indulge a little bit. I'm going to have two or three donuts. Whatever the decision is, as long as you go in with intent and you're not always going to stick with it, but knowing that if you make the decision, the next decision is a brand new decision. You're always, you know, you can turn the page, you can decide to do something else. It, it doesn't have to, to carry over into the next day, the next weekend, the next week, which is typically where we, we run into issues. And I think that um, kind of bringing things full circle to what we started with, when you don't have the foundation built, it's much more difficult to turn the page because we run on that, that default setting. And if our default setting is all over the place and, and scattered, we don't have the fundamentals built, then it's really difficult to turn the page. But if you've built up a strong foundation, you just it's so easy. And, and I don't mean to, to downplay something that's a big challenge. It was a challenge for me. But if, if I can get there, then anybody can, because I, I was a slow learner. It took me probably 10 years to, to eventually develop that skill. But you know, last, last weekend, my girlfriend and I were in Miami. We went in with the intent, intent of this is a free weekend of no macro counting. We're not going to worry about what we're eating. We're going to enjoy ourselves. We're going to have some great meals together. And now we just get back to what we normally do, which is mostly whole foods, eating you know a lot of fruits and veggies, a lot of protein, drinking our water, moving our bodies. And it's like, it never happened. And we were able to you know be in the moment. Um, you know, I, I feel like the ability to, to deal with travel, like we're coming around summer months. Um, how do you how do you prepare your clients for situations that are come up going to come up with family barbecues? Um, you know, you've got the holidays over the summer. You've got typically vacations, things like that. For somebody who might have anxiety about trusting themselves in those moments, or am I going to make the right or wrong choice? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you do for just little tips to be able to keep things relatively dialed in through the through the the summer months when it's usually a little bit more scattered. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually love your suggestion of um, having people think ahead of worst case scenario, you know, um, and and really kind of playing that out because I always say that you know, there people are cruising right along and they they have time to put effort into their health and wellness, and then then sometimes there's something that happens. It's like a pivotal moment, you know, whether it be a vacation, a, a, a fire, a hospitalization, a car accident, a divorce, you know, something that like really kind of takes their, their ability to focus on themselves kind of away. And in those scenarios is when people typically backslide the most, you know, because I always say you cannot put your health and wellness completely on the back burner. Like you can't just take a break from actively being healthy and well, you know, um, it's something that you have to do on a daily basis. Now, like you said, do you have to do it all? Um, no, you don't have to do it all, but you always have to do something. And so again, when it comes back to what does your healthy foundation look like, you know, that's really what you want to try to, to some capacity, bring into your vacations, into your summer months, into, you know, your, um, holidays and such like that. 
what I always say that there are seasons um, that um, there are seasons when weight loss is easier and summertime is not one of them, you know, and, and I don't know if you talk a lot about this in with your program or on your podcast, but, you know, you can't live in a caloric deficit. You cannot diet, <clears throat> you know, to the 10th degree, 12 months in a row. So it's actually a really good time. You know, I always say January, February, March, April, those are great times to dial it in, you know, really kind of go towards your goals. And then, you know, uh, May, June, July, August, those are great times to to take a break, to focus on maintenance, to rebuild your metabolism um, and, and, and give yourself grace with regards to your food choices and things like that. So for me, my biggest suggestion going into the summer months is, you know, define the habits that you want to be consistent with. And consistency through the summer may be 50-50. You know, I always say you got to be 80-20 to make progress. At least that's what I believe, you know. Um, I think for maintenance, you can be more 50-50, 60-40, 70-30. So you look at the things that matter the most, you know, to your health. Like what has helped you the most over the last five months? optimizing protein, you know, uh, managing calories, focusing on whole food nutrition, getting sleep, drinking your water, prioritizing strength training, you know, so you look at those and you say, you know what, I'm probably not going to be able to do that all 80% of the time, but I'm going to aim to do that 50% of the time, like do something. Um, and I think if you go into summer with the idea of like maintenance is our goal, and then you get ready to dial it back in in the fall when your schedule's better, you know, things are, are back on track. Um, that's when you see success, you know, when you realize that there are ebbs and flows in your weight loss journey, but you can never take a break. Yeah, it's, it's such an important point. I, I actually uh, wrote something recently along the lines of, you know, the, the whole saying practice makes perfect is, is really not quite on the mark. It's more practice makes permanent. And I say that because a lot of people practice permanent dieting. And like you mentioned, being in a deficit, you know, all year and restricting calories and eliminating food groups. And that's what they practice. So that becomes their permanent way of doing things. So when they think, oh, I need to lose some weight, they immediately go back to the thing that they've been practicing. How frequently do you see people practicing maintenance and actually practicing sustaining those results and supporting their metabolism and, you know, getting calories up to an adequate level where they can have that freedom and flexibility. And I think that's one of those, you know, uh, one of the best things that I ever did for myself was getting out of the dieter's mindset and truly taking years to build my metabolism, build some muscle. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know the scale is probably going to be up, but at the end of the day, I want to be able to eat more food and not gain weight. So like we always think, how much, how little can I eat to lose weight? What if we flip that script and say, how much can I eat without gaining weight? And that's really advantageous just for having the, the flexibility to having a well-functioning metabolism. Um, I know you talk a lot about reverse dieting and, and not spending a lot of time in a deficit. Um, do you want to talk about just some of the implications and, and you know, metabolic adaptations that can occur if we're spending our entire lives trying to pursue a deficit? You know, I honestly think that this is ultimately one of the missing links for most people's weight journey, you know, um, especially if you're someone that has gained and lost, gained and lost the same 20, 30 pounds over and over. This is what you're missing is this 
you know, technique called reverse dieting. Um, and basically, you know, whenever you start a, a, a diet, you go into a caloric deficit, you know, you have this kind of like, you know, metabolic differential between what you were eating and what you are eating now. Um, and it's that deficit that creates this fat loss. Well, over time, our body is very good at adapting. You know, the less we eat, the more it adapts to less, you know, um, uh, energy being put in, it's going to slow down, you know, your organs are going to slow down your, you know, your breathing is going to slow down, like anything that requires energy is going to slow, where it becomes adapted to your current caloric intake. And I see this a lot with people um, that hit plateaus, you know, I mean, if you hit a plateau, if you're doing everything right, and you hit a plateau, that's, you know, your body is adapted to that metabolic rate. Now, if you're, if your calories are still relatively high, then you cut more calories. But if your calories are low, if you're already eating 12, 13, 1400 calories, you can't go any lower, you know? So that's a period in which you would take, you know, to focus on maintenance. And that's the hard part that, you know, I tell my clients, I'm like, you have to work almost as hard to maintain your weight as you do to lose it. And what you have to realize is you're not getting that weekly motivation of progress. You know, it's very motivating to continue to follow through with your habits when the scale is moving, when your clothes are getting looser. But once that stops, that you, you've got to have other motivation, you know, that's going to keep you going. Um, another uh, area in which reverse dieting is important is when you hit your goal weight. You know, if, if you, you know, cut your calories to 1400 and you get to your goal weight, if you stay at 1400, eventually 1450 is going to cause you to gain. You know, you're going to have those couple of days where it's not like you eat a thousand extra calories. It's really, you're just eating a hundred extra calories here and there, but because your, your metabolism has adapted to 1400, you're going to be more likely to kind of gain it back. So once you reach your goal weight, you've got to spend time slowly building back your, your caloric um, intake. It's called metabolic adaption you know, um, so that you can go in and out of, of kind of like your caloric deficit. Um, the last, you know, again, the last time I see reverse dieting to be beneficial is just when you need a break. It's like we talked about summertime. You know, I tell my clients, if you know summer is going to be a hard time to grind out a caloric deficit, then stop making that your goal. You know, focus. If you know you're going to be on the lake and on your boat and at the beach and, you know, you realize it's going to be hard to eat 1400 calories. Well, let's slowly build up and let's eat 1800 calories over the summer and maintain. And then when life is easier, you know, our schedule's better, we can go back in a deficit. So um, I, I am really passionate about teaching people about reverse dieting because Again, I do think it's why people stay on the diet roller coaster. I, I think it's why people see weight gain, you know, pretty effortlessly when they, you know, hit their goal weights. Um, so it's something that you cannot, you know, overlook. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there, there's a point in there that I really want to highlight because it was such a great point you made about the motivation when you're seeing progress on the scale. And it keeps you mentally in the game knowing, okay, you know, even though this might be challenging. I see my, my clothes are fitting better. My pictures are looking better. Um, you know, the scale is moving in the right direction and, and it kind of keeps you going when you're in that reverse, when you're trying to build, when you're trying to, you know, get your metabolism back to homeostasis, all of a sudden you don't have those same metrics, but it's important to have something that you focus on 
that tells you things are progressing, uh, whether that's performance in the gym, you know, start, start focusing on getting stronger. You know, there's nothing for, for me anyway, with, with our clients, they get really excited about the fact that, you know what, I actually kind of felt like crap in the gym when we were in this dieting phase. And now I'm lifting heavier. I have more energy through my workouts. I'm recovering better. Um, so we really have to pinpoint some of those, those markers that aren't as necessarily as exciting, but it can be if you really start to buy into the prog to the process and, you know, look at how much more energy you have and how much better you feel and um, sleeping better and your sex drive is back. You've got all of these positive indicators that things are moving in the right direction. You're setting yourself up for the next phase. I love how you talk about, um, you know, keeping things in phases. And um, I think that that really helps to keep somebody mentally in the game as, you know, again, I think from our perspective as coaches, we know that if we can just keep somebody mentally in the game long enough, success is inevitable. And that's it. Just yeah. stay in the game long enough to, to build these habits and, and eventually you'll get it and it will become like second nature. And you won't even remember, uh, you know, how difficult it was to build those habits. It'll just, it'll just be part of what you do. Um, one thing that, that you have written on your Instagram bio, which I love, it says, don't eat like an asshole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's funny because I, I, one of my frameworks for living a better life, there's a, there's a phrase, I call it DALA, D-A-L-A. And if you're, if you don't like to curse, you can use it as directions for acting like an adult. If you like to curse like myself, it stands for don't act like an asshole, um, which can have several definitions. When you say don't eat like an asshole, what does that mean to you? You know, I, to me, it's like literally throwing caution to the wind, you know, it's almost, it's very much like might as well living in that might as, you know, that might as well mindset, like maybe you go on vacation and, and again, you, you know, I, I'm sure when you went to Miami, you still have parameters around the food that you eat, you know, um, because we recognize that, you know, when you eat like a complete asshole, you feel like shit, you know, um, but, you know, that's what that's what I like to tag it as. And sometimes I'll be like, hey, I ate like an asshole yesterday. It's just basically poor choice after poor choice after poor choice. Um, and and ultimately, you feel that poor, poor choice. So. Um, that's a, a funny tagline that I use in my community. Yeah, no, I think it, it fits. And I, you know, sometimes just having that little saying in your mind will help you make a better choice. Even it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be, you know what, instead of just going for like only donuts and cookies, like I threw in some protein and veggies and then I, and then I still had a couple donuts or whatever it may be. Um, exactly. It, and, that, and that's really what I find, you know, using this past weekend uh, it got to the point where we were like, we, we really want some veggies. And like, let's just get a, a big salad somewhere because after you eat, you know, if you're accustomed to eating good quality whole foods and then you take a little break from that to enjoy life and eat a little bit like an asshole, all of a sudden your body's like, no, give me some of those micronutrients back. We want those vitamins and minerals. So it, it got to a point where we, um, on, I think it was Monday night, we had a reservation somewhere and we're like, let's just skip it. We'll get big salads somewhere and, and do that instead. So, um, you know, the, the whole just mental framework of don't eat like an asshole. I will also add, uh, and this is just my opinion, that if you're constantly slashing calories and, and cutting out foods unnecessarily and always defaulting to 1200 calories or less, that could also be defined as eating like an asshole. Like eating like an asshole. I agree. I agree with that too. You know, I think that people just don't realize that under eating 
potentially does more harm than overeating, you know, in the long run. And, and I think that we have a, a nation of chronic undereaters, especially for women, you know, I mean, there's so many methods out there that have just, you know, basically said the only way you can be successful if you eat 1200 calories or less. And it's, it's crushing, it's crushing our thyroid, it's crushing our hormones, it's crushing our metabolism, you know, it's crushing our energy, it's crushing our sleep. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it I, don't goes know both ways. I certainly don't know when 1200 calories became like the standard prescription for women across the board, but however that became a thing, we need, we need to get rid of that. Um, it just keeps popping up anywhere you turn around, you plug numbers into an app or whatever. Unfortunately, I swear I blame, and I don't know if I can like say this, but I blame my fitness pal, because if you, anyone who logs into my fitness pal and sets up their macros by default, they're going to put, they want to lose two pounds a week, yeah. you know? And so it, def- again, every single person was lied in my fitness pal and it gave me 1200 calories. And I'm like, that's where it's all coming from. Yeah. Again, it's like the the trying the rapid weight loss, which again, if we could all find a way to lose two pounds a week, trust me, we'd all be there, but it right. just doesn't work like that. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that I always use to explain it is there was, there's a lot of programs out there, whether they're ill-intended or well-intended, doesn't matter, but there's a lot of programs out there that try to throw out a prescription for the masses, right? And their goal is, well, we, you know, it's not one-on-one coaching. It's not personalized like what we do, but it's, we have thousands and thousands of people and we have to come up with a way to write a prescription that's going to help thousands and thousands of people lose weight. And if that's the mindset, by definition, you have to support the, the worst metabolism in the room, right? If, right. I, if I have 50 people and I'm like, okay, well, you're all going to eat 2000 calories and I need you all to be successful in my program. It might work for some, maybe not for others. If I'm trying to get everybody to lose weight, I got to account for the worst metabolism in the room. And I think that that's facilitated the really aggressive prescriptions with things like MyFitnessPal or other templated programs where they're just throwing out something, hoping that everybody's going to lose weight on it inevitably it's going to err on the side of extreme, which unfortunately we both know does more harm than good. That's right. That's right. Uh, so I feel like to, to kind of start to wrap things up, what are things that you, I, I guess, like, I always like to look at the positive side. We've talked about some of the, you know, the negatives of extreme dieting of spending too much time in a deficit of the 1200 calorie number what do you feel like is the the silver lining that tells us we're we're heading in the right direction? Um, you know that we're starting to see better information, more sustainable prescriptions out there. Uh, is there anything that you kind of hang your hat on? And you're like, you know what? I think this this tide is turning in a positive way. Oh gosh, I wish I could. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I just I feel like the message is still so murky out there. Um, I'm constantly bombarded where people will send me, you know, this research study and this research study. And, you know, here's the deal. I think there's a, there's a, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, mainstream media and, you know, whatever it is that I call it clickbait, you know, they want you to interact with their site and they want you to want their information. And I think a lot of the stuff coming out, it's, it's, you know, it's so general that you can't really make any type of, you know, real um, quantification from it. You know, for example, I get a lot of stuff about um, fasting and women's hormones, you know, fasting is bad for women's hormones. And they'll send me studies and I'm like, 
okay, well, what kind of fasting are they talking about? Are they talking about a 12 hour fast? Are they talking about a 16 hour fast? Are they talking about a three day fast? You know, that matters. So um, I think, you know, whenever you're viewing nutritional research, whenever you're viewing nutritional information, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. And sometimes you have to kind of pick through it. Um, I, you know, I think probably again, here I am just talking about all the negative because I feel like I'm entrenched in it as a registered dietitian. Um, but I do feel like this whole notion of just kind of what we're talking about. I think that there's a big push because I think women's hormones are absolutely crushed right now, uh, for a lot of reasons. And, and I think that, uh, people are now realizing that chronic under eating, chronic dieting, you know, inadequate protein intake, um, you know, the things that we put on our body, the things that we put in our body matter. And, and so I think from that aspect, um, I think there's a lot of positive stuff coming out that, uh, will hopefully help women in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And I keep, I just think about the fact that we have people like yourself who are spreading quality information. And I see more and more people in the space that are taking the time to understand each individual as an individual. So I'm hoping that our army is growing so that we can continue to spread that word. Um, and even with, even with research, a lot of times we forget that when we look at studies, we're just looking at the average of one particular study not the average that we can extrapolate across, you know, an entire, you know, gender or demographic or whatever it may be, but it's typically just, okay, you know, somebody sent me a study the other day and it was like, the sample size was like seven people. And they're like, well, right. this, and I'm like, well, what does that tell me that right. seven people? Um, so I'm like, you know, with all due respect, I wouldn't read too much into this. We need a lot more. And oftentimes research is a lagging indicator of what we started to learn from anecdotal evidence. And, and then we start to put the studies in place and then we have to make sure that the studies are well done. And then we kind of, you know, go through this process of vetting research and, and information to come up with somewhat of an, a conclusion. Even then we know that every study we're seeing results across the board. So it might not apply right. to a specific individual. Um, one I'm, I'm reading, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Grover, uh, but he has, mm -mm. He has a book called Winning. He was uh, Michael Jordan's coach and co oh, wow. strength and conditioning coach. And he worked with Kobe Bryant and um, some of the some of the best athletes in the world. And he knew even, you know, 20, 30 years ago that even though all of the research was saying like basketball players, high performers, they should be eating this like heavy carb meal before a game. Uh, Michael Jordan felt like crap. He's like, I'm not going to force a square peg into a round hole just because the literature says it. So he's right. doing like steak and stuff before a meal and adding a slower digesting protein source. And he felt amazing. He's like, well, should I have listened to research or listened to Jordan's body? And like, sometimes we just have to pay attention to the individual. That's right. And I think, you know, um, for people like me and you, I mean, it's, it's experience. I mean, when you've worked with thousands and thousands of clients, I mean, you have that experience more so than, you know, a lot of other people that are just, you know, again, looking at a, a seven person study. So, um, and, and ultimately understanding what works for one person doesn't always work for the next. So, um, being flexible with, with recommendations and, uh, requirements is I think key. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes I think we miss out on context and in, in understanding the individual differences that, that exist across the board. Um, so I would love for you to, um, just give everybody an opportunity to learn more about what you've got going on and where they can, you know, read more, um, 
about you, you know, wherever you hang out. And I know, I know you did a TED talk on all or nothing mindset, like where they can find everything that you've done and stay connected to you. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm super active on social media. Follow me on Instagram at Amanda Nybert RD. Um, my signature program is called Lean. It stands for Living Energized and Nourished. Again, just like I said, we focus on foundational work and then um, build on that once we build that foundation. So um, you can check that out at my website, amandanybert.com. Amazing. And we will post all of those links in the show notes. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate Me too. Uh, your perspective and just coming on and sharing um, all of the, the wisdom and knowledge that you have. So um, I appreciate it. And uh, we will talk soon. Awesome. Thanks so much.